0: Or tell that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened.
1: My guest today
0: is Sean Welby. Sean is a television and radio presenter and has firmly cemented herself in the worlds of TV, radio, and social, currently co hosting the Capital Breakfast Show alongside Roman Kemp. Born in Nottingham, Sean began presenting at the age of 19 and started a career as a Channel 5 weather girl, but made headlines across the globe thanks to her creative comedy forecasts, which ranked up to 10 million views online, something which set her apart from the rest. Sean previously hosted her own Heart FM evening show and Sunday morning show. She can also be seen regularly hosting showbiz segments on ITV's This Morning, as well as hosting shows for Channel 5, ITV Online and BBC One's Snapchat channel. She also loves working up fresh and engaging ideas and content for her own social media channels, enticing exciting commercial work with brands such as Very, eBay and Barclay Card, just to name a few. As someone who seems to be taking the world by storm, I cannot wait to find out all about her Sliding Doors moments that have shaped her life so far. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Sean. Thank you. Hello. It's so nice to have you here. And again, I've just said this to you, but you've been up for so early today and this is quite late in the afternoon. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here.
1: Oh no, it's all good. I've had my little power nap. I'm feeling fresh. I'm ready to go.
0: Raring to go. Amazing. And so before I ever do an interview, I always kind of, you know, do some digging and research into my guests. And I found myself in such a rabbit hole last night of all the amazing epic A-listers you have been interviewing recently. I mean, it's just been incredible.
1: Honestly, I think it's so ironic because it's been an absolute sort of avalanche of guests. And then because of this writer's strike, it's suddenly a total drought. Like There's been nothing. Yeah. Um, so it's been, in some ways, it's quite like a relief. Because it was getting almost to the point where, oh my God, you know, who's it going to be next? And although it's so amazing, you're almost like on edge because there's so much pressure. They're all idols of mine. And as much as my aim is to try and play it as cool as I can, deep down, there's so much stress. And I'm such a perfectionist that I, it's almost, I see it like cramming for an exam every time I do Mm. one of those sort of big junkets it's
0: hard isn't it because I think at the end of the day everyone is just a person you know whether it's like Brad Pitt or Ryan Gosling yes they are gods to us and they're people that we've idolized and they're beautiful but do you kind of sometimes feel when you come out of it they are just human and actually like as long as I relax and kind of get into it then it will be absolutely fine
1: yeah and that and 99% of the time that is the case the only thing that is so tricky about these sort of junket type things which is you know what you do with the movie stars where you you go on it's like Notting Hill you meet them in a yeah. in a hotel room and you <laughs> oh, always feel like the Hugh Grant character that's totally fish out of water <laughs> from Horse and Hound and that's how I feel every time and because you've got something ridiculous like 8 minutes with these people
0: yeah and
1: when you walk in it's already a weird environment where you're almost walking into what feels like a set where all the lights are on and they're in and they're comfortable and they're ready. And you walk in as this like sort of stranger. And for people to try and imagine how it feels, it's almost like going for a job interview every single time with your bosses sat in front of you.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Because, you know, like if you get the questions a bit wrong, or if you get the conversation flow a bit off, or if you crack a joke, they don't find funny. You've sort of lost the room. And then you're yeah. clawing, you're spending the, the rest of the time trying to claw them back going, oh, don't judge me on that one <laughs> question or I'm sorry for I've asking this or whatever. And you're trying to get that lovely balance. And some mm. people make it so easy, like your Margot Robbie's of the world, who's always acted like she's my mate, as in yeah. that's just her way. I think she makes everyone feel like that. Whereas you get other bigger actors that um, you are maybe more intimidated by, like your Harrison Ford's of the world, And it's like having the head teacher sat in front of you.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, it is a massive skill because as you say, like I have 45 minutes to an hour to get to know my guest and to ease them in and to kind of ask questions to have that short space of time to really get to know someone. And I'm the same, like you can interview someone instantly click, but if you don't click, you've only got like five minutes to kind of get them on your side. So you're really good at it. You, you are brilliant and people should go and watch oh, some of you. them um, online because they're really good interviews. Um so also want to chat about, so you, you obviously have to get up early, very, every morning you do the capital breakfast show. What kind of is your lifestyle like then? Because obviously you get up so, so early, your job is early in the morning, but you must have to go to bed quite early. So how does kind of life work for you in terms of work, life balance, social life?
1: I would say that like, it's not, um, my life is really very low key and like, it's not very showbiz. The job is so cool and showbiz that my actual life is, is so normal. And the most things I will be doing in the week is popping to home bargains or doing a big shop at Sainsbury's or going to TK Maxx. And that is kind of my, and I'm really content doing all of that because the job fulfills so much of what I've always dreamt of personally, Mm -hmm. that I've almost not really needed a hobby. However, because of these hours, I am living a little bit like um, an 80 year old woman where I'm going to bed at like (laughs) half eight at night, you know, tucked up with a hot chocolate. So I'm trying to sort of... I'm just trying to do some different things in the week, more like sporty type things, like I literally adventured uh, ventured into um, rock climbing the other day just to try it out. I'm trying to do anything to... Get out a load of energy because in the morning, straight after the show, you feel like you've been in a whirlwind and you've spoken nonstop. You've been up since half four. You're on air from six. Sometimes an interview starts at half five and then you go, 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 go till 10, then 10 till 11. It could be a load of other interviews. And then we prep for the next day. And so you're finishing work around 12. Um, And then by the time you get home, you have your lunch and then you're ready to like have a nap because you're yeah. so drained mentally. Um, but so I do sometimes have a nap and then I try to do something like exercise bike or just, just a little bit of an activity so that at least by the time I go to bed, I'm tired again. Yeah. I mean,
0: I'm tired just hearing everything that you say. And I actually wanted to ask in terms of, cause you don't even think about it, you know, yes, you get up early and you've got to start your show, but you've also got to prep at some point for the next show and kind of get your mind active. And, you know, you spoke there about like living a life, like a bit of an eight year old woman, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think you'd probably be doing it even if you weren't working these hours, to be honest. But um, do you kind of see it as like, you know, this is a time in your life where that's just the compromise you're having to make because you are doing a job that you love. It probably won't last forever well you know doing a breakfast show where it's going to be like this and you kind of just just trying to like live in the moment of like this is my life for now and it might not be forever but I'm just going to take hold of it for while I've got it
1: A 100% and I'm very much that has been my attitude sort of with everything I constantly feel so lucky and so honored to get to do this job that I love that I didn't know I I would definitely be doing. Um, I I didn't know how long I would be doing it. Radio in particular was always a dream to get into, but I thought it would happen later in my career. I didn't, I didn't have an Mm -hmm. obvious route into radio at all. I've got no background in it. So it was always on my hit list of like, I want to get into radio. No, no clue how I'm not a DJ. Um, and so, Yeah, I definitely feel so lucky. So I take everything so seriously. Like I'm not going to ruin an opportunity. So if it means I do go to bed early because gone are the days of going out and partying in the week, there's no way I could lead like this mad double life of like going out, having a nightlife, partying it up, going to events, going to premieres. Um, I just wouldn't be able to keep that momentum up. And I know that I need my sleep. And I also know yeah. to be good on air the next day, I need to have had rest so my brain is firing on all cylinders because on that breakfast show, you've got to get your point across dead quick because it's all about short, sharp, fun links yeah. and, and stories need to be told in two minutes or less, you know, and so mm. you, I have to make sure I'm, I'm, my brain is like working properly because on those days where you are really tired or on those odd occasions yeah. where you are hungover or whatever, it makes it so difficult.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing that I'm really interested to know is, is so like, I think we all think that kind of, you know, when radio presenters, they just kind of sit there and talking, but do you have to do any like techie stuff? Like, do you have to like, I always see like the buttons of moving, like, do you have to learn that stuff and kind of fade things in and out? Like, is there other technical things just as well as, you know, being able to speak and, you know, present the show?
1: Yeah. It's interesting because on Capital Breakfast, actually, Roman does that. We call it driving. He drives the desk. So because there's yeah. three of us on that show, he's it wouldn't make sense for everyone to have all different buttons. You'd end up with a mess. So he drives it. And so therefore, he sort of leads the show. And then we all um, have this like rhythm that we're into, which is it's kind of one of those things that it's hard to explain how you know when to speak. But there's like yeah. an unwritten, there's like a, um, a t- telepathy type thing between us all where we get we get so used to each other's kind of chat and rhythm and like isms yes and you know when to come in but when I started in radio it was on heart and um I know why they call it driving the desk because it is like learning to drive and so you're doing everything it's way harder than telly because you're doing every role and talking So when I first joined, I honestly thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown when I started at heart (laughs) because it was just too many things for my brain to work on. My hands were fading up the mic and fading down song. So the right hand's uh, doing my microphone. My left hand is fading down a song. I'm looking at a screen that's counting me down for how long I've got to talk. Oh Um, my gosh. I'm trying to talk exactly to 37 seconds while sounding natural, trying to tell a story, trying to get to the punchline and getting to the punchline before it goes, this is hot. And that,
0: (laughs) when I first
1: started, was so hard. I'd be sweating so much. It was like one of those stress dreams where everything goes wrong. Oh no! You can't control what's happening. And I just remember it feeling... Honestly, like a a marathon, every night I would do a three-hour show, seven till ten, and it was so relentless because it was just me. And I was having Mm. to, say like in TV, you'd have a producer who would prep it all, you'd have someone running an auto cue, you'd have a PA timing you, you'd have someone in your ear directing you, You, you'd have um, someone in the gallery doing all the, and suddenly in radio, you are all of those people. It is a mad, mad job.
0: And you mentioned there as well, kind of like going from being by yourself to being a part of like, you know, a team of people and you all work well together. And obviously you work with Roman and it's not sunny anymore, is it? Who's the other person It's some um, Chris Stark. Chris. So how is it working with Roman and Chris? Because you obviously have a really great dynamic, but you're also the only girl there. And I can imagine it gets quite like boy at times.
1: Oh man, it is. It's, it's one of those, right, where I definitely prefer having someone to bounce off. Yeah. I'm not about being a one woman show and I'm not about sort of, doing something just for clout Mm -hmm. I'd rather be part of a team any day of the week and share the glory because it's so much more fun there's so many more ideas so in general I love working as part of a team Roman's like honestly my brother I think and he does see me like a sister like we've got to that point where we we both have a line where we don't cross Mm -hmm. but god we rip each other for everything yeah and nothing is sacred nothing is safe I could come in, I could be wearing something different and I know in the first five minutes he's going to absolutely <laughs> rinse me for it. But it's an, it's kind of a really lovely dynamic where I know that's what he's going to do. He knows that I'm going to fight back. And there's a real mutual respect there. And obviously Chris is new and we're getting to know Chris at the same time. He only joined um, October last year. And I think even for him, it's like a whirlwind joining in our show because we are all mad and we're yeah. like, you know, in between songs, we're looking at YouTube videos, Romans quoting stepbrothers, like it's it's just a madness. Um and yeah, it gets so laddy, lots of football chat. Um sometimes it's it is hard to steer the conversation into female topics. And I think yeah. it is something that even even now I don't do enough of, but it's really hard sometimes to to have a chat with two lads that's going to be girly. Whereas it's yeah. a lot easier, I think, for a girl to have a laddie chat.
0: For sure. I'm like that. Like, I have really good girlfriends, but I do love kind of bantering with the boys. And I think, you know, you do you do get into that realm. of it. not that you're being like, you know, a boy, but you kind of just like join in with their humour and the way they say stuff. And it's an interesting thing that you say, because I think that, you know, that's that's probably like the result of just being around male energy all the time. I wanted to take it back to when you were younger. So we are going to talk about kind of your career through your Sliding doors moments. But, you know, young Sean, what did she want to grow up to be? Do
1: you know what? I went through so many phases, especially like when I was really little. But the things I remember being fascinated with were the pop stars. And like, Mm -hmm. I remember being in primary school and the teacher really making a big deal about how young Britney Spears was. I remember this so well, like saying to us, she's only 15 and look at what she's achieved sort of thing. Yeah. And I remember seeing that as almost like a challenge. I was like, well, I want to be doing something cool at 15. Oh, I'm going to do it way before, you know what I mean? And I was probably eight at this point. I, I can't remember. But I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to be older than... I'm going to do do something like this. I want to do yeah. something like that. and But not really knowing what. I, I can sing, but I'm not brilliant. Um, I can act, but I don't like serious stuff. I'm very much comedy, which yeah. you have to be a bit of an all-rounder. And I used to hate doing all the Shakespeare and all of that. So I never really knew what I wanted to be. But it was a stage where I thought, well, maybe I'll get into acting. And I did even drama school aud- auditions. But in all honesty, being from the Midlands and not being from, not like having no money, basically. And my parents didn't have, I wouldn't have even dared to ask sort of thing. They didn't really have any money. Auditioning for drama school was so ridiculous. Like it would cost 50 quid just to audition. yeah. And then you'd have to get a train to London, which is not cheap. By the end of it, I only did three. I got on the waiting list of one, then didn't get in. And it was like, oh God, I've left sixth form. I'm not going to uni, I didn't get into drama school, I need to get a job. And my mum and dad are very much like, there's no sob stories. It's like, right, come on, on, pick yourself up, what are you going to do? So my dad was straight away like, right, you need to go and get a job then, don't you? And there was no, oh, I feel sorry for you, Sean, don't worry. It was like, come on then, sort yourself out. So I went and got a job in New Look. And I I sort of was there trying to work out what on earth I was going to do. I remember somebody saying to me, Oh, Sean, you really remind me of Cat Dealy. And I mm. thought, Oh, oh my God, maybe I could be a TV presenter. And that's where that the idea came from. Yeah, I loved Cat Dealy. I loved the whole SMTV stuff. I missed that so much, you
0: know. Like like honestly, like I'm so glad I was I was like young in those years of like Saturday morning TV, C D U K. It was just such a great time.
1: Yeah, it was. And and I admired Kat Dilley. She was always taking the mick out of herself and she was with Anton Deck. and I've, it's funny how I've ended up trying to find yeah. that dynamic of the two lads and me. It really related to me. Like I never wanted to be, like even when I was an actress or did acting, can't say I was an actress because I never did it professionally, but mm-hmm. when I was acting, I never went for the obvious roles. I was always like, um, the evil witch or I played the old woman. I always wanted to be something funny.
0: No, I love that. And do you know what else I love about what you've said? Because I've had a similar situation is, is that you knew when you were younger that you had this kind of creative outlet that you, you wanted to kind of do, but you didn't know what it was. And it does take a while, but like, sometimes you find it and it clicks and it sounds like right now, like, you know, it's taken you a while to get there, but you, you know, you found it and yes, it wasn't, you know, you, you tried drama, you tried everything, but you've tried everything to get there. And I think that's a really good inspiration for people. Cause I had it with the podcast. I always wanted to do something that was more creative than what I was doing at work. And when you find it, it just, everything starts to click inside you to be like, ah, oh, okay, this is what it's meant to be. So before we go on to talking about your moment, first of all, have you seen the film Sliding Doors? Yeah. Big fan.
1: Um, and kind of what is it that you love about the film? I think exactly what you said at the start about why you did this podcast. I think my whole life has felt like sliding doors moments. And that film, because it's become almost a phrase we use in everyday terms, Mm -hmm. a bit like in the same way you'd say you'd Google something, the amount of times I use that sort of sliding doors phrase to say, oh my God, you know, what if? My whole life has been like that because I am in a weird industry. And, And actually, I think no matter what industry you're in, how you end up getting to where you are is never a normal story. Mm-hmm. And you look back and think, well, if I hadn't have been there at that time yeah. on that day, I wouldn't even be here.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why I love being able to kind of go through people's moments in their lives because you're not even aware of the moments sometimes. And do you believe in kind of everything happens for a reason, fate, timing, hard work, luck? What are your beliefs in it?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm one of those people that believes... Um, it's a bit corny, but I do believe you sort of make your own look. It's it's right place, right time, but there's a really massive backstory to why you were in the right place at the right time. And that doesn't happen if you don't put in the work. So mm-hmm. and I always think it's a nice um, – I always believe that good things happen to good people. I do believe that if you work hard enough and you back yourself, I do think anyone can achieve anything, and that's really corny. And I know there's circumstances that maybe that doesn't apply. But in general, you've seen it happen to people that talk about it all the time, don't you, that go, oh, I didn't have any GCSEs and now I'm the CEO of this. Or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I came out of this council house uh, in the middle of so-and-so and and now I live in a mansion here. And you see these success stories and a lot of the time it's it's come down to this just sort of like inner belief that you're going to do it. And it. don't get me wrong, a lot of time you don't hear all the hard work, the graft, yeah. the mistakes along the way. And it's taken me, Like for people that maybe are just learning who I am, and especially with me being on Capital, it's a really young station. You know, I have a lot of teenage girls sort of contact me and things and they're sort of so so excited about how I'm in this job and they want to do it. What they don't know is is it took 15 years of yeah. graft and doing stuff for free and earning no money and sleeping on floors. And there's always a backstory to all of these things. So yeah, I'm a big believer in fate and I do believe the right thing comes to you at the right time. And a lot of it is being patient.
0: Yeah. Patience massively and timing, but what you say is true. Anything is possible. And then again, that sounds bizarre, but it really is. And once you kind of get rid of those barriers that all that could never happen to me, it could, it's not impossible. And it kind of helps break it down. Oh, Sean, we could talk about this forever, but we've got to get onto talking about your sliding doors moments. So your first sliding doors moment is working at New Look in the Midlands and getting my shift covered to do an advert in London for New Magazine. If I hadn't risked it, I wouldn't have done the advert, which was played on a loop in Channel 5's offices and got me my big TV break. So I've I've condensed this down a little bit because I want you to explain a lot of it. So this is my kind of moment because it has so many what ifs in it. And also we all worked in some clothes shop at some point. I mean, I worked in Dorothy Perkins. It was like no windows, like, Sold my soul for years. Um, So, take us back to when you were working at New Look and the opportunity, how it was offered to you, and why this was such a sliding doors moment in your life.
1: Yeah, sure. I think this is definitely um, one of those stories that I hope, if someone is kind of stuck in a rut, that it might just inspire them to trust their gut instinct. And I think that is the key thing with this. So, I was working in New Look in the Midlands, in Newark, in Nottinghamshire. And um, like I said before, I was sort of doing this side hustle of trying to get presenting jobs, but it would be like a week here or it'd be one day here and I'd swap shifts around and do the odd day or I'd do something after work or at the weekends and I would always juggle things around to try and fit in other presenting work. And a lot of it at the time, and this makes me sound very old, um, but it was when online online stuff of having an online presenter was kicking off. So a lot of my work yeah. was, it never saw the light of day really, but it was going on online Um, people's websites, that kind of thing. And then I was doing like extreme sports channel, but again, it would be obscure things uh, like quad biking championships. Again, nobody was really watching it. So I hadn't, hadn't made it. And anyway, I'd joined something on Facebook, like a group that was about presenting and stuff. And this little thing came in saying, um, oh, hey, Sean, uh, we're looking for people that fit your profile um, for an advert in London on uh, on Saturday. Um, and this was, so let's say it was Wednesday at this point. So I see this thing yeah. pops up. It's going to, they're going to pay me 175 quid. I really remember that because by the time I paid for my train ticket and everything else, I wasn't really making any money. But um, <laughs> I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. It'd be cool to be in an advert because I've never done anything like that. So I look at the thing and at this point I've been at New Look for five years. So I'm now a supervisor and I'm responsible mm. for cashing up, locking up, all that kind of stuff. So I had to go like almost behind my boss's back. And because there was no one to do a full eight till six shift, no one could cover. I had to get someone in to do eight till 12, someone to do 12 till six. And I had to sort of beg and borrow to sort of... um to get somebody to agree to cash up for me, um, I found somebody that would would swap the end of the shift so that they could lock up because they were they were able to lock up and all these kind of things that were really not approved. Yeah. No boss would have approved to do this. And then I just went, I've got to go. I'm going to go and do it. I knew I was going to be in so much trouble, and because I'm not very good with confrontation, I didn't even tell the boss I'd done this. As far as she's concerned, I'm working Saturday all day. Okay. So I know. I'm going to be in massive trouble but there was obviously something in me that went I've got to do this mm-hmm. go down to London and uh this advert is filmed in the middle of nowhere like Docklands East London and when I tell you I sat all day and did nothing and thought oh my god I'm not even going to be used why did I do it yeah why and I was sweating and panicking I looked at my phone. My phone rang at midday, and it was the boss. It said Vic on it, and I thought, "Oh my god, she is going to bollock me," and I was shaking because it's not my character to be like, "Fuck it." Yeah, I,
0: I care too much, right? You're dedicated when you put when you're doing something.
1: Yeah, and I felt really bad, and so she's ringing me and she's going, Sean, where are you?" And I was like, um, don't hate me, but I'm in London and I've done an audition and I'm sorry. And she was like, what? And she was, she was like, what do you mean? She was like, who's covering you and who's going to lock up? And she was like, you've put me in such a bad position. And I felt dreadful. Anyway, she hangs up and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to (sighs) face her next week. And again, like I say, I'm sat there. It's now two o'clock, three o'clock. I've been there since eight. I've not been used at all. It gets to. 5 p.m. And I thought, well, they must be wrapping up at five. I'm not going to be used. And then at five, yeah. I get the okay, Sean Welby, you're next. And um it's an advert where all you have to do, it will go, What's in New Magazine this week? And all I would do would be popping up going, Diets, celebrities, Peter Andre. <laughs> and that's what I had to do. It was just a one-liner. I think
0: I remember these, you know. Yeah.
1: So, um, you know, I'd pop up reading a magazine somewhere and all I would have is this one line. Um, but maybe because, and again, this is a, a kind of sliding doors thing of, because I'd sat there all day and I'd watched everybody else doing these one-liners in all these different locations. And I saw everyone doing it so serious because it was almost like their actor moment. So when it came to me and my setup was in a kitchen, I just, I thought, if it's only gonna be this one word on screen, it doesn't matter how stupid I do it because it's only for a split second, so it won't look corny. So I started doing them quite funny. And when I said diets, I shoved a load of stuff in my mouth. And um, I was I used all the props. There was like food on the table, there was knives and stuff, and they seemed to like it. And then they said, Oh, can you read some more? And I read some more. And then they went, Oh, we've got some more. Unbeknown to me, and this is something I found out way later is I ended up reading everyone's lines, every single line that was possible. This then meant that no matter what version of the advert played, I was always in it. Amazing. So then, in, as flukes and fate goes, the man that had just bought Channel 5 owned New Magazine mm. and whatever. So he owned OK Magazine, New Magazine, and because it was all in the same building, the New Magazine played on a loop in the reception, in the offices, everywhere, this advert. And I was popping up every single day. <laughs> Amazing. Like some sort of Darren Brown mind wash. Like I was getting into his head. Yeah. And so one day, and again, this is something I've been told, is one day he was in a boardroom meeting and stopped it and pointed to the camera and went, who's that? And someone went, um, I've no idea. And he went, <laughs> get her in, like this amazing and I was like next thing you know I was like summoned to the channel five towers
0: that's incredible and this is such a moment like moments of fate because as you say the first thing is is you followed your gut and you you know you decided to to do something that was very out of your character but obviously something was telling you that you needed to do it um and I just love how polite you were I mean did you get fired from the job
1: no luckily it, and this is me as well i always i always think it's going to be terrible letting someone down and it's never as big a deal as you as you make out and that's the kind of thing i wanted to to get across that if anyone's scared of like upsetting this this job that they're not that bothered about really you have to risk it for the dream because the payoff is so worth it because even if you don't get it you know, you at least gave it a try. There's nothing worse than thinking, well, I didn't even go. Exactly.
0: And you so nearly didn't go that day. And what I find amazing is, is that, and you also said kind of like, you know, you were only paid 175 pounds, but actually this was the catalyst that led you to getting your big TV break. So you go and meet the guy from channel five and what happens then?
1: So I meet at the time, I think he was the the head of the channel and he was, again, I think he'd been told to meet me. You know, he hasn't, he's almost not got a clue what's going on. All that's happened is the top dog, the big CEO has summoned me to his towers. And this guy from Channel 5, who's now, um, who's running the channel is faced with me at 23 years old and sat in his office. Um, and I think he's probably thinking, who is this girl? So he literally asks me a million questions. And he's like, tell me about what you've been doing. And this is where I think that sort of opportunity and luck meets graft because I had loads of stuff to tell him. I didn't just say, oh, I'll work in New Look and I want to work in telly. It was like, well, I've been working at New Look, but I also do this thing for the Extreme Sports Channel and I I do this online show for so-and-so and I've started doing the social media for this. And here's the thing I did here. And I was like, and then I got this opportunity and I ended up going here. And all these stories came out. And I remember at the end of the meeting he again it was like one of those movie moments where he went Sean people keep giving you chances and I think we should as well and that's all he said oh and that's all he said I had no idea what that <laughs> meant I left got on the train went back up to the midlands yeah a week later I get a call from someone else completely different and he says to me Sean Um, your meeting went really well last week at Channel 5. I was like, oh, good, good, good. Thinking that maybe they might ask me down for an audition for something or whatever. And he said, um, they want you to be their weather girl. You start next week. I was just like, what do you mean? That wasn't even on my radar. You're like, I want to be Cat Dealey. I don't want to do the weather. I know. And that's almost how it sounds so ungrateful, but my brain was so confused. I was like, wait, What? I didn't do geography at GCSE. I'm terrible at geography, actually. Like, people always like rip into me. I don't know where any country is. I don't know any capital city. I don't know the difference between counties and towns. And oh, my God, this was almost like <laughs> I thought they can't be serious. They've got the wrong person. And next thing you know, I'm being whisked down to the Met Office for an extensive training course. And then I started.
0: That's incredible. I've always wanted to know kind of what happens with that. Like I'm obsessed (laughs) with the weather, but again, my geography is terrible, but you know, you, when you got offered that opportunity to be a weather girl, was it just a no brainer for you? Like, even though it was like, as you say, nothing you'd ever thought of before, were you just like, I have to do this. It's an opportunity. It's been put on me, like connecting all these dots. This is where it's got to, like, this is going to be the thing that leads on to what I meant to be doing.
1: Yeah, it was. And I, I remember sort of, I think what it was, I saw it as my ticket to London and out of the Midlands. And I was like, I said to them, I was like, is it a full-time job? And he went, yeah. I was like, am I getting paid properly? And they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, so I can afford to move down there? And he went, yeah. So um, I remember thinking, oh my God. And by the way, you're there thinking, oh my God, this is television. I'm going to be a millionaire. And it was, (laughs) when I say it was minimum wage, I'm not exaggerating. Like I wasn't on good money, Um, but it was... um, it was such a good opportunity. And I saw it as this full-time gig. It means I can move to London. I will learn it. I'm a bit of a say yes, work it out later. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'll just have to learn how to do the weather. I'll have to watch loads of weather reports, copy how they do it, learn the lingo, and then I'll, I'll somehow make it work. And
0: you've got an amazing work ethic. And I think that's kind of what really shines through, as you say. And as you say, it's such a good inspiration for people because, you know, when you said you were sat talking in the meeting in channel five and reeling off all of these things, you could have made up half of them. You probably didn't know what half of them were, but it's, it's knowing that you're putting the effort in to try and make it somewhere. And I just, I think this moment is incredible for so many reasons. The advert being played on all the time, and as you say, the fact that you read all of these different things out that meant you were always on the advert. And this guy was always like, "Who is this girl?" And who knows what it was. But you never know that something you've done, how it's going to impact someone else's decision on something or anything like that. But also, you're learning your craft, and as you've said about your beliefs, if you're not you know, the opportunities can come to you, but if you haven't been working hard in the background to be ready for the opportunity, you're never going to be able to take it because the luck can keep coming. But if you're not prepared for it, i.e. if you hadn't been, you know, doing all these small little jobs and doing all these things on the side, you never would have been able to get that. And the question I want to ask you now is what if, so what if you hadn't have risked that day? What if, that you you know, your conscience just took over and you're like, I can't do this and not doing that advert,
1: how different do you think things would be for you now? I think completely different because i there's no way i would have gone i did i did my gcs sorry i did my a levels and i actually did all right i could have gone into uni but i knew full well especially after working for five years there was no way i could get into debt so what i thought was i was like i need to go into something that um i don't need university for and I had a couple of ideas, like, because I was, while I was at New Look, I was doing all these NVQs just as backup, like, what if I end up being a visual merchandiser and all these things? And I and I would have dreamt big in, I would have tried to get into a London top shop or a mm-hmm. that was like, in my brain, I was thinking, well, maybe I try and be like a window dresser for some of these big shops. Yeah, and get into um, London. But then also in my mind, I wanted to be a paramedic. And I thought, I knew that you could pay a set amount of money, but train as you do it. I've no idea. And who knows where that would have ended up. Maybe I would have ended up on 24 hours in A&E and beat on telly. Who knows? Yes. But who knows? I definitely wanted to do something. Something with people would have always been the choice, but I, but I, I genuinely, at times, the job I wanted felt so ridiculous and impossible. I was kind of ready to accept if I don't make it this year, I've got to get my teeth stuck into something else. Well, you are definitely
0: in the right place at the right time with this one for sure. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and ZEpound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role,
1: like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
0: So onto your second moment and what I love about these moments are they all link to each other. So it's very kind of like in, in order of how they happen. So your second moment is sneaking words into weather forecasts. If I didn't do it on the 17th of December, 2015, I would never have gone viral and never got my next big break um, in radio at heart. So when I read this, I obviously had to look at some YouTube videos. Um, they are so funny. I don't know how you kept a straight face when you were doing it. Just amazing. Um, so explain a bit more about kind of how you snuck
1: these words in and Tell us what happened on the seventeenth of December. So I'm doing the weather now, and that's my, my sort of day job. I'm working mornings. I'm in London, and although I'm over the moon, I've got this great opportunity. It's paying the bills. Um, it's still not quite the job I wanted. And you know, go back to that Cat Deeley thing. Saturday, you know, SMTV. I wanted to be doing fun, silly comedy stuff. So I started thinking to myself again, I like had a word with myself rather than trying to sort of, um, to feel like the weather wasn't right for me. I thought, well, make the weather right for you. Make it you. I know there's not much I can do. I can't, I've still got to talk about the weather, but how do I make it Sean? Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just start having a laugh with it. So at the beginning, it was just to make the crew, the cameramen, people in the gallery laugh. I would just sneak words in. One of them, people would give me one and then I'd see which one I could get in that day and made them laugh and people listening out for it in the lunchtime bulletin. And it just became a bit of an in-joke. Again, big bosses didn't know I was doing it. Yeah. Then when Twitter was sort of popping off a little bit more, and at this point I had a few followers and um, because I always did post funny things, I had quite a nice engaged following that knew that, uh, I don't know, that just sort of played along a bit. And so I started doing this whole dare shan on a yeah. Friday thing where I would get somebody on Twitter to dare me to put one in. And then I would say, make sure you watch the midday forecast to see which word I got in today or whatever. See if you can spot the hidden word. And that's kind of how it started. And so it, clever. It was just a bit of a laugh. So it would be, but it would be ridiculous, like ninja, banana. It was words that don't belong in a forecast at all. I would find a way of making it sound so normal. Um, I can't really think at this point how I got ninja in. Oh, maybe I said the, I said, oh, you know, these thunderstorms are going to creep up on us like a ninja uh, before we know it. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I found yeah. I found ways, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, of getting them into the forecast. But the sliding doors moment was my Star Wars one. And what used to happen is I would pre-record the weather. Five no, 10 minutes before we actually did the midday forecast. So, although I wasn't live doing it, and that was only because uh, there wasn't room in the studio for two camera setups, so I would go in 10 minutes before the news, Mm -hmm. I'd bash out loads of different versions of the weather, and then they'd use, depending on what time they needed, a long one, a medium one, or a short one. So, I recorded them all and I came back and I did them early. I I think I did them at 22. So, I'm sat in the gallery now, and all my weathers are recorded. And as I look up, I see that all the news footage that that they're playing in, ready to go out, is talking about the new Star Wars movie. And this film, I think it was um, The Force Awakens. I think it was was something ridiculous, like 25 years since the last movie in the franchise. So I suddenly looked up and realized this was big. And I was like, oh, people love Star Wars. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'd been doing these puns and I'd been doing these hidden words. And I suddenly was like, I said to everyone, oh, my God, shall I quickly just record a Star Wars weather? And everyone in the gallery was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't have time really to mess about, but I'd already knew what the weather was doing and I had it handwritten on my notes. So I got people in the room. I said, shout out any Star Wars reference. People going, Wookiee, Princess Leia, um, The Force, Um, Darth Vader. And I'm I'm writing all these things down quickly. And I'm just speedily trying to find this play on words. How can I get this in? Leia, Princess Leia, layer of Cloud. And then I'm going um, Force Awakens and and, uh, finding like, um, if you Luke father West, I'm going, yes, Luke's father. Luke, I am your father. So (laughs) I'm trying anything I can do to make as many of them fit in as possible. And probably at this point, just because I've been doing it so much. And again, it's when opportunity meets sort of prep. I had done the weather now for ages and I could reel off weather really quick and really easy. Mm. So fitting these things in actually wasn't that hard because my brain was conditioned to do it. So I begged the cameraman, I said, Oh my God, can we just do one more take? I'm going to do it. I'll do it first take and we'll just go. So I run back into the studio. Everyone's backing me on this one. and go, come on, Sean, come on. And I'm like going, Luke, Father West, and if you're Wookiee, you'll see some sun. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going through it. And, go, and they're going, three, two, one. And I swear to God, we did this 40-second weather forecast. I did it in one take. They recorded it and went, oh right, we've got to take that one because it, we haven't got time to turn it around. And they pl- And I had to just almost, fingers crossed, pray that they played that version out on air and then it went the yeah. news came out and we're all waiting with like bated breath like oh, are they going to play the star wars weather and then the star wars weather went out right and i was like oh my god and i just must have known i just knew it was a good one it felt like a team effort everyone was into the idea and and i just did it first take which again is it just felt like it was meant to be like i was so proud of it um i remember saying to the social team. And again, this is when social media, like companies were not good at social media and channel five were not good. And the only thing we really had at the time was, was a Twitter and a Facebook account. I don't even think Instagram was as big or it didn't, there was no way channel five had one. So I said to the people that did social media, I was like, please, can you tweet my weather? Because I really wanted it to go up on Twitter. And I remember like it got to like two o'clock and they tweeted a Facebook link on Twitter, right? So the Twitter was just a tweet with a link to Facebook and no explanation of what it was.
0: It's like what your parents do now when they don't know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, it was absolute dad behaviour. Like, this is this is terrible. And I remember, again, knowing that that wasn't right and I've got to do something about it. So... I pleaded with them to give me the footage. I said, please just give me the footage. I was like, can you, if you load it to YouTube, I knew that YouTube videos popped up on Twitter really nicely. Like they were embedded in. Yeah, I was like, people will be able to see the tweet. And I was like, and I need to use the hashtag Force Awakens. I know I've got, this was, you know, again, hashtags were massive. I knew that that was the only way people would find it. So again, cause like, it was a really nice team. Someone put it up on YouTube for me and they let me share the footage myself. And I wrote it. And I wrote something like, can you spot all 23 Star Wars puns? Because it was it was a ridiculous amount. Like, can you spot all 23 uh, Star Wars puns in this weather forecast? Hashtag Star Wars Force Awakens and put the clip up. Put it up at rush hour, 5 p.m. Because at this point, that's how long it took for me to get them to load it and whatever. So it went up at the right time peak time for people to be searching through stuff. Didn't think anything of it. I wake up the next morning and it's gone global. Oh my God. As in, I thought it might get a couple of thousand views. That's what I was aiming for. I just wanted it to be a successful video. And I wake up to um, the morning show in America calling me. I've got K-Rock. I've got Kiss. I've got Australian news channels. I'm getting phone calls. Some phone calls, I don't know how they got my number. <laughs> I, and suddenly people are now ripping the video off the YouTube and they're putting it on their websites. I will never know to this day how many views it got. But I rem- I just remember one in particular that got ripped. That itself got 10 million on its own. Oh my
0: God. And how did you feel when you woke up and that happened? Were you like, I cannot believe this has happened?
1: I, I Again, it was one of those pinch me moments where... I'd had that gut feeling that it was gonna do well. Mm-hmm. And I made sure the execution was good. You know, I, I made sure that it was tweeted properly and I felt like I gave it the best chance it could, but I could have never expected that. And again, the sliding doors moments is so many in there because even just it going out at the right time, it being the right moment, the right film, yeah. it felt like People saw it as a prank and that's why the Australian audience liked it because they love what seems like a prank. And they, th- when they advertised what I'd done, it was like Weather Girl pranks bosses. They saw it as me rebelling <laughs> against the channel. Oh my God, So yeah. that then obviously got picked up by all the radio stations. And I'm on all these radio stations, including Capital. Mm-hmm. So Capital breakfast show, ring me up. And at the time it was Dave Berry and they're like, oh my God, we love these weather forecasts. If we ring you up, can you do, can you do one for us? We'll give you a theme. I was like, great. Yeah. Now at this point I've got an agent and she's saying to me, "Shan, it's 6am in the morning and they're not going to pay you. Do you definitely want to do it? And I was like, yes, I want to do it. Yes, I was like, this is of amazing. course. So uh, I get called by Dave Berry. They go, oh, can you do us a Harry Potter weather? So they did it. On Facetime, and it helped give me some credibility because there was a lot of people who thought I'd used an auto cue. And on the weather, like weather people will know there is no auto cue because in the camera you just see the map. It proved it was like it gave me that credibility because, and they were brilliant. I did this Harry Potter forecast in forty seconds on Zoom or on Facetime, and they were Dave Berry. He, I remember him saying like there's no auto queue on FaceTime. That was amazing. Like he was going, you know, this is legit. She can actually like do this. you on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, again, it gave it that credibility. So after that, I was being asked by movie companies. I remember Star, Um, no, what was it? Superman versus Batman. The film companies themselves were tweeting me saying, like almost the eye emojis, like, one do one for us. And it, I... I had so many people reach out wanting me to, it was almost the best movie promo at the time. Yeah. Was me doing these silly forecasts. So I did a Ghostbusters one and for Halloween and it was going, it was just going mad. And how did you get your job at Heart? So this is the, again, another sliding doors. Two years before all this viral forecast, I wanted to get into radio. And I managed to do a demo at Heart and... I did this demo and um, I, it was really fun. And I just told as many funny stories as I could, all my best stories, all my funny, ridiculous circumstances. I like told all the best ones. And um, there's a brilliant producer there at the time called Martin Bruce, who just took me under his wing and went, I'm going to chop this up and make you sound amazing. And he put it together. But at the time, Heart was a lot of, an. it was more like a smooth show as in like music yeah music wise it was more 80s and it was a bit older at this point mm. um and it would have been probably around 2015 sort of no no it would have been 2013 probably when I did this demo so it was still playing a lot of 80s music and it was still seen I had a lot more o- older DJs so I did this demo and they were like you sound quite young but it doesn't really fit for heart at the minute There's n- we don't really have anything two years later when all these viral forecasts are popping off I've done this Harry Potter weather for Capital, and it's their most tweeted tweet, Whatever, however you would say it is. It, they, it was the biggest numbers they'd ever had on a tweet. Yeah. So that got the attention of their bosses and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Once again, one of those moments, who's that girl get her in? Round two, who is she? Who is this girl? Well, at that point, Martin Bruce, that producer, said to the boss, I know exactly who she is. Yes. She's Sean Welby and she did a demo two years ago. Here's her demo. Oh, timing. So off the back of doing these silly forecasts that were all a bit of an in-joke at the start, just hitting the right time, the right place with that tweet, doing the right sort of topic with Star Wars, it going viral, and then the radio stations picking it up and me saying yes to Capital a couple of times. I did it, I got up really early and did the novelty forecasts. They post it on their channels. Their bosses saw that. Next thing, I'm getting pulled into the global offices with a very similar scenario of this bloke in front of me going, who are you? What are you doing? What do we need to know about you? And what do you want to do? And uh, the, and the rest is history. Again, it was a very fast turnaround of the next thing you know, I'm being asked to do an evening show on Heart.
0: I mean, Sean. This is like an incredible, incredible story because you've kind of just summed it up really well there. But the thing that I love most is when I first watched the weather forecast that you did, I thought, you know, you'd been preparing it for ages and, you know, you'd really thought about everything that you can do. What I love so much is, is it was so off the cuff and it was something that you did as a last minute thing. You thought you kind of, you had the initiative to put yourself out there, which was amazing. And then, as you say, the other thing I love about this, because I'm a perfectionist And sometimes people will do stuff, you know, when you said that they put the Facebook link on and you're just like, oh God. But actually, when you know that something could do so much better if they just did that, you know, even if you hadn't have done that, it wouldn't have gone viral. And there's so many little pinpoint moments and it's just incredible because as you say, you've just been open to opportunities all along the way that have led you to where you were meant to be at that time and kind of got your your dream at Heart Radio. Do you think about what happens if you had not done that? Because you very, very easily could not have done that weather forecast. And I think things would have been very different for you.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think I wouldn't have got in radio when I did. I think, I like to think it would have been, it might have come to me at some point Mm -hmm. because I always have these thoughts in my head like that. If, you know, if I've thought in my head I want to do something, I would have tried and pursued it. But I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have got it when I did. And if you want an extra Spooky sliding doors moment. Always. Because it really is mad. The day I got a phone call about being a heart presenter, I had just been made redundant as the weather girl. No way. It was that morning. That morning, I got told, and I was still in the Channel 5 makeup room when my phone calls, and I look at my phone, and it's Martin Bruce. It says, Producer Heart. And he rings me up and he says to me, "Shan, this is going to sound mad, but you know that demo you did two years ago? Well, the boss wants to see you.
0: Truly incredible. Literally the definition of when one door closes, another one opens. Amazing, Sean. And that then leads on to your third and last sliding doors moment. So when my boss at Heart Radio asked to see me in his office and I really thought I was about to get into trouble for something I'd posted on social media, it was one of the most unlikely moves that has never been done at the company before, but led to me being poached from heart to capital breakfast, a dream come true moment. So... You said you had been living up on holiday with your friend in Barbados and partying hard and posting it on social media. And when you got back, this moment happened. So explain in your words kind of why this was a sliding doors moment and how it changed your life.
1: Well, it was was March 2020, and I'd had a bit of a mad, just a mad moment in my whole life, really, where um, I was sort of breaking up with a long-term boyfriend, and I really wanted to go on holiday but didn't know who to take. And I went with my my producer from Heart. So bear in mind, when I'm sharing all Instagrams of us doing drunken karaoke and whatever, I've probably not really thought that this isn't a great look if any of the bosses are watching. And all holiday I'd been posting as doing all sorts of like having fun and, you know, just doing silly videos and stuff. But when I got back, like literally that Monday, the boss with a very serious face, sort of said to me, oh, Sean, can I have a word? And I was like, oh, my God. And immediately it felt bad. And I thought... Like a dread. It was dread. And I thought, oh, my God, he's seen me on Instagram, like, doing drunken karaoke, and I think I'm going to get an absolute turn-off here. I'm going to get a bollocking. So I was bracing myself to sort of apologise and go, oh, look, I'm so sorry. I just, I really just needed that holiday. And, you know, probably in hindsight, shouldn't have been sharing it on social media. So I was getting this all ready in my head to apologize. And he said to me, so something's come up. I'm going, oh God, oh no, I'm cringing. What? What's come up? Who's seen something? What have I shown? What? And he was like, someone's leaving Capital Breakfast. And I was like, right. Now now I'm totally in a totally different conversation I wasn't expecting. I was like, right. He said, yeah. He said, and they're looking to replace the person. But so far they've had loads of different people go for it and no one's been right they're like your name's popped up we do not think the bosses are going to allow it because it would not only mean messing up this heart schedule it would mean some you know someone covering for you it, it wouldn't no one normally goes because of the Age difference, you don't normally do heart to capital, because it hearts the older station. So
0: yeah, like hearts where you're like kind of retiring, kind of.
1: Yeah, you you, you hopefully you've got a nice journey of heart, then smooth and classic, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um and gold. But uh yeah, so um so they said, look, it's very unlikely, Sean, that they will go for this, but do you want to give it a go? And I was like, Yes. And again, Capital was a station I wanted to work on. And the way it works in that building is Heart is the floor above. So I knew all the Capital lot. And every time I walked down to their floor, it was buzzing and lively. And every time we had interview guests, we'd always come down to the Capital studios to do the interviews. Mm -hmm. So I always got a taste of what Capital was like and was like, oh, I want to be part of this gang. It's really young, it's really fun. And always felt like I'd missed the boat. And then I go into this room sit with Roman and Sonny at the time. And it just clicked. And I was like, I felt it in me. I was like, this feels right. This is exactly, this is my Anton Deck moment. This is my cat Dealey Anton Deck, SMTV. I found my boys. I found the two lads I want to present with. And that is how it felt. And again, afterwards, from speaking to them, they felt exactly the same. And it was like this instant fit. We had the same sense of humor. We all took the piss out of each other in the you know, in the demo. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd had that radio experience, I knew the kind of stories they needed. I knew the kind of teasers they wanted. I knew how to sell things. I knew how to do serious, um, more like heart-wrenching things and then gear shift into something ridiculous. And that's because I'd done all that training at heart and it was like a boot camp. It was so difficult. And I felt like because I'd done those hours, It suddenly having two people to bounce off felt like an easier move. It was like, oh my God, this is a breath of fresh air. There's someone else to to share this with. And I loved it. And then I did a week trial, but by the Wednesday, they offered me the job. And how did it feel when you found out you got the job? I was so happy. It was like, for me, it really was like a peak moment of this is the best job that I never thought I would ever ever have a chance of getting. And not only am I on radio, I'm now on the biggest breakfast show in London. I'm now, um, I'm with Roman. I've always wanted to work with him. I'd known him a long time and always wanted to work with him. And so suddenly I'm like coming into work, crying with laughter every day. It's like instant family with that kind of gang because you're all up early and you're in a closed room for five hours a day. And you get to know people. It's like big brother. It's like you you get to know everyone so quickly and so well. And it was a dream, honestly, a dream come true. And even now, I wake up and I, even if I'm tired or grumpy, I think, "Oh, but Sean, you're doing it. I'm still on Capital, and it, like I still am so giddy about it, like a fan.
0: That's so good, and it's the the only way to be. And do you feel like it taught you a bit of a life lesson? Because you said there that you know it's never been done before. You don't go, you know, you wanted Capital, but you ended up going to Heart, and you're like, okay, well, the kind of the dream probably won't happen now. Did it teach you to kind of be like, you know? things don't have to go in a certain way a linear way they can go up down crossword backwards and does did they, do these kind of things when they happen to you help you with other life decisions that you make
1: yeah and i would say that to anyone i think school and movies have a lot to blame for us to think that everything happens in an order and at a certain age mm-hmm. and that's my big one as well because i've seen a lot of people struggle with expecting to be at a certain level by a certain point in their life and You've just got to really let go of that because you've got your own journey. And as as corny as that sounds, you cannot compare what you're achieving with someone else because there could be a million and one reasons why they did that younger or why they got that sooner, but you will get your turn. And as, as long as you can back yourself, as long as you know you've put in all that effort and you've given it the best chance you can... You can sort of live your life quite happy-go-lucky because you just you know that you've at least given it your best chance. Mm-hmm. And if those things don't happen, you think to yourself, well, at least I gave it a go, but it's not meant to be or it's not my job yet. Yeah. And I watched people go ahead of me. I watched people get jobs on Heart years before I did. I watched people on Capital that I wanted their jobs and I had to just... You, I think you're allowed to feel jealous, but it, the, the key is to let it go really quick. It's feel... Yeah, feel jealous because you are aspiring to to be something. Natural, yeah, yeah. It's natural to feel jealous, but let it go and go. Do you know what? I didn't. It wasn't my job. That it was their job, and it was their time, and it was their moment, and they were supposed to get that. And then you can happily move on and go. What am I doing? And what do I need to do? And and how do I get there? And eventually, if you can sort of live your life like that and not worry too much about what anyone else is doing, I do think that all these things will happen and they'll happen in the wrong order and you'll go it in your career you might find that you were paid more at the start and then you take a massive drop in money Mm -hmm. in the middle but it's progression if it's not money it's progression because it's leading towards the job you want and if it's not the job you want it's maybe the money that you need at the time and
0: as long as you tick
1: those boxes as you go along i don't think anyone goes up in that straight diagonal like like school make you think that's what's going to happen
0: never never you're totally right and Sean, I could talk to you for hours about all of this. I mean, number one, <laughs> we need to do this podcast again in about five, 10 years time to see what the next <laughs> sliding moments are in your career. God because knows what I'll be doing. you've had so many, but it's so inspirational for people. And it's, it's amazing to hear your journey because as you say, people hear you on the radio every morning, but they don't know how you got there. And they don't know that, you know, yes, you had luck, but you worked so hard for that luck. And also you put yourself out there and you're doing something that you love and it's just your, your enthusiasm for it and kind of your outlook on life is absolutely brilliant. I can't wait to see where you go and what you do next. Um, and just thank you for sharing your moments with us today.
1: Oh, thanks, Jenny. That's so lovely of you to say. And honestly, it, it's been so nice, kind of in a way, this has been like therapy. I've never thought about all these things until this podcast.
0: That's what Martin Kemp said after his <laughs> moments. He goes, I felt like I've just had a therapy session."
1: Yeah, because you don't realise until you say them all back. And maybe that is a lesson in itself. None of us ever give ourselves credit for anything we've done because we're always yeah. looking forward all the time. And it means you're never in the moment just going, do you know what? I might not be where so-and-so is, or I might not be earning what such-and-such is, but I'm so chuffed where I am or what I'm doing. And I think yeah. we all could do a bit more of that. We definitely could. Everyone go away and do that
0: now after you've listened to this podcast. Um, but thanks so much, Sean. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me, Jenny, and sorry for chewing your ear off for ages. Not at all. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much.